Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on DuckStream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. It is a new week with new opportunity. The Ducks have completed their five-game road trip and are back in Anaheim. The team is very likely happy to be back after spending over a week on the road. And it wasn't the trip that they wanted, only getting one point from the five games, some of those being some tough nights. But like I mentioned, a new week with a new focus being back at home. Sunday night concluded the trip in Detroit with the team falling 5-1 to one at Little Caesars Arena. John Gibson made 36 saves, and some of those were really big to keep the team in the game. Down 2-1 to one after the first period, Trevor Zegris did an intermission interview with ESPN's Emily Kaplan, and he noted that the team was playing passive. I think that word really sums up some of the play that we have seen from the Ducks so far. They haven't been applying pressure, and they've let teams skate around them while looking for those secondary opportunities. I think it's good that Z noted that and that the team knows what they were doing and what they needed to fix moving into the second period. So here are some of my AD's takeaways from Sunday night's game. Only a couple of them, but the penalty kill has continued to be an area of weakness for the team. Three power play goals were scored by Detroit on that. The Red Wings going three for five through the game. Just an area that really needs cleaned up. And I know that the team knows that as well as head coach Dallas Akins has not been shy about that. And on the contrary, on the power play, the team also struggled on the road with that. So looking to get some scoring there in these coming games. Now, Trevor Zekris was a bit of a bright spot as he had the lone goal for the team, his third goal in six games so far. I really liked the presence in front of the net on that goal. Good look for Z. In looking at the road trip as a whole, it wasn't a great start for the team. The first loss against the Islanders definitely hurt the morale of the team. Now the New Jersey game, they kept it close, and the Ducks played their best hockey against the Bruins. They looked very cohesive, strong puck possession and checking, but just came up short in the shootout. The schedule, if you look at it to start the season, certainly hasn't necessarily favored the team in addition, but like I mentioned, lessons to be learned and areas to improve upon. Three tough games on the docket coming up, though. The Ducks will host the Tampa Bay Lightning on a Wednesday. They'll head to Vegas on Friday to play against the Golden Knights, and then they'll come back to Honda Center on Sunday to host the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I will say in all of this, I'm really happy to have hockey back in Anaheim, and we'll get some games this week. Now, last week, I introduced a new segment called Coast to Coast, where I share goal calls from around the league and different news in the NHL. Let's get to today's list from the best things that I saw over the weekend. Beginning with the slate on Saturday, the Pittsburgh Penguins taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets. This was a win for the Penguins, 6-3. They are off to a hot start playing some good hockey with a 4-0-1 record right now. Sidney Crosby had a goal in the third period that gave the Penguins their lead. He was wide open in front of the net, a beautiful one-timer. Listen to the call from Pittsburgh Radio's Josh Getzoff. Sidney Crosby, Sean Corrali on the draw to the right of Merzlikens. Loose puck in the dot, off the draw, skated into by Gabranson, couldn't clear. Dumoulin to Crosby, right circle, shoots and scores! 
The captain puts the pens in front for the first time tonight. 4-3 Pittsburgh. If you're looking to watch some hockey tonight, Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid will be facing off for the 10th time in their career. Definitely going to be a good game. The Penguins and Oilers on Monday night. Next on the list, the Dallas Stars taking on the Montreal Canadiens on Saturday. The Stars had a 5-2 win. They're another team that's had a strong start. Same record as the Pens, a 4-0-1 start. Joe Pavelski had a hat trick as a part of that win. The goal that netted the hat trick, he settled it with his hands to his stick, took it into the zone with a lot of pressure around him, and put the puck in the back of the net. Listen to the call now from Montreal's TSN 690. Otter deadened it behind the net. Lundqvist along the boards. Robertson can't backhand it out of the zone. They'll try it again. The goal... Off the Dallas boards. Here's a chance now. Pavelski! And Pavelski has got himself a hat trick. Joe Pavelski, 38 years of age, putting on a show here tonight at the Bell Center. Dallas leads the Central Division ahead of Colorado right now with nine points. And speaking of Colorado, the Avalanche had a close 3-2 win over the Golden Knights on Saturday. Valerie Nichushkin went coast to coast to give the Avs their third goal of the game in the third period, getting through three defensemen. Here's the radio call by Colorado's Connor McGahey. McDonald got in the way, denied that. Carlson has it in the corner trying to get away from danger. Eric Johnson steals it away from him. Shovels it now for Valerie Nichushkin. He picks up speed. Nichushkin, big body soaring through center ice. Nichushkin, what a move. Nichushkin, he shoots and scores! The 2-2 trade, pull it into the station. Oh, my goodness gracious. East to west, coast to coast, and right into your face. Valerie Nichushkin with a goal that is just spectacular. Nichushkin has... Tally his sixth goal of the season, and he does it with a ton of swagger and style. Nachushkin took the puck from his own zone across center ice, went through two defensemen, tucked it to the forehand, over the shoulder of Logan Thompson, and in. That's splendid. With just 29 seconds left, Tyler Toffoli netted the game winner in overtime in front of the Scotiabank Saddledome crowd. Enjoy the call by Sportsnet 960's Derek Wills. And now race out to the red line. Now across the Hurricanes blue line. He gets by Ajo and centers to Foley. Shoots and scores! Tyler Toffoli with a wicked one-timer ends the game in overtime. The Flames score three unanswered and defeat the Hurricanes 3-2. And the final goal call from the weekend comes from Sunday's matchup with the Blackhawks hosting the Seattle Kraken. Friend of the show, Eddie Olchek, having his homecoming to Chicago. And this goal coming from Chicago's Jujar Kara with a great play that resulted with a shorthanded goal in Seattle's zone. Listen to the call by John Weideman for the Blackhawks. Here's Donnie, gave it away at the line. Jujar Kara shorthanded. The Blackwell down the slot. Seattle's over. Kara for scores! Great give and go between Kara and Blackwell. And the Blackhawks have scored their fourth shorthanded goal on the season. And they're on the board, trailing Seattle 2-1. to one. 
It was Blackwell giving it off to Kara, who at the last minute tapped it home. Great play by the Hawks. That's the fourth shorthanded goal in three games for Chicago. And the last thing from over the weekend, there was a touching moment in Philadelphia with Oscar Lindblom returning back to the Wells Fargo Center on Sunday. One of my favorite stories from the NHL in recent years, Lindblom is in his first season with the San Jose Sharks, but spent the previous five seasons and beginning of his NHL career with the Flyers. For those that don't know his story, back in December of 2019, he was diagnosed with a rare bone cancer. Since then, he's been healthy and almost three years cancer-free. The Flyers played a video tribute to Lynn Blom, and it was certainly a touching moment. Go check it out on Twitter if you haven't seen the video. He is an amazing story. With the NHL on ESPN and the Ducks a part of that over the weekend, Emily Kaplan now joins the show in this next segment to give perspective of hockey at the national level and how she's played a part in sharing the stories of NHL players to grow the game. Listen now. If you watched the Ducks game in Detroit on Sunday, this next guest may sound familiar. Joining us now on Light the Lamp is ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan. Emily, welcome to DuckStream. Thanks, Alexis. I'm so happy to be here and also just chat with you. Um, you know, I think your listeners probably don't know this, but you and I met a few years ago. You were so interested in covering the NHL as a passion of yours. And just to see you get this opportunity and run with it, it's been so cool for me to see. So I'm really excited to chat with you. Thank you so much, Emily. Uh, you know, since you were a part of the game last night, I want to know kind of what your evening was like covering it. Yeah, well, I was between the benches, um, but it's funny in Little Caesars Arena, there's actually not a designated between the bench area. So mm -hmm. um, I literally was standing on the Red Wings bench. Um, I took Alex Nedeljkovic, the backup goalie, uh, that night's usual spot. So he sat behind me with his lovely hi mom <laughs> sign on his blocker, which I think a lot of people saw. Um, and, you know, it was a really intense game. There was a lot of emotion. Um, I got whacked with a stick action. Actually, there was a little bit of a scuffle by me. So it was a fun game to watch and cover. Unfortunately, the Ducks on the end of that long road trip, I think, just didn't have the juice um, that the Red Wings had. But I'm not counting them out this season because I think there's too much talent there to think that this really poor schedule and really poor start uh, is reflective of who this team is. And now getting to work down in between the benches. I mean, last night, obviously not having that in between the benches spot, but in other places where you do, what is that like? Kind of give like our listeners an inside perspective of that. Cause one, I can imagine it's really cold down there. You know what? It's not, it depends on the rink. Um, okay. Some ranks are so much colder than other ranks. Um, I was fine last night. Uh, again, a lot of action walking around, uh, you know, standing the entire time. Maybe that burned some calories and kept me warm. Um, but you know, you have such a bigger appreciation for, the speed, the physicality, and the skill in today's NHL. Like, I always say that hockey games are best experienced live. You just really don't get the feel of a game watching on TV. Things I probably shouldn't say as a TV broadcaster, but it is what it is. Um, and being down there at that level, um, you just see how quick these guys are. And I love just watching, you know, their hands and the way that their stick moves, but also where their eyes are going and how much deception they have. Um, and that's the best part of it to me. Um, you can overhear a lot, a lot of chirping, um, <laughs> some coaching moments too, which is really cool. And just kind of seeing what the message is. 
Um, I can't tell you how many times guys get off shifts and just slam doors, want to break their stick, curse. And those frustrations, you think of it, it's like, these are the emotions that happen, these little moments, hundreds of time in a hockey game and thousands and hundreds of thousands of time over a season. And it, it just makes you appreciate what a grind it is to get through all 82. Now, what rinks are the coldest then? Hmm. You know, you'd think that Florida is um, because they've got to keep it nice and cold um, mm-hmm. to counterbalance that humidity. Um, I would say Tampa's okay for me. Um, I, I wore a dress there with tights um, and that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida was pretty chilly. Um, I've heard the Montreal and the Bell Center uh, is quite cold too, but I've only been there for the draft when they cleared the ice and everyone just piled <laughs> them to the draft floor in July. So that didn't quite count. Yeah. And then, so kind of looking at the game last night, I mean, obviously it didn't go the way that the Ducks were hoping to the end of their road trip, but can you give me your perspective of kind of where the Ducks are at? You said you're not looking to count them out, obviously with this tough start to the season. Um, I would consider the Ducks as a team in transition, you know, since Pat Verbe took over, I like his patience and the fact that he's like, let me get here. Let me assess the players that we have, the roster that we have, and I'll figure out, you know, what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to make any rush judgments. And then this summer, you saw him just start to take shape of that roster really began at the trade deadline um, of bringing in his type of guys. And, you know, there's so many young, talented players on this roster that are going to be superstars in this league. I mean, Obviously, Trevor Zegris, he had his big glow up last year. Um, you know, we'll see what he can do in year two. A lot of players do experience a sophomore slump as, you know, other teams figure them out and they, you know, figure out what they want to add to their, their game and how to get to that next level. Um, Mason McTavish, another great skilled player. I think, unfortunately, he had a tough camp. Um, that's what Dallas Eakins told me, and I'm sure you guys experienced it. And it was just all of that hockey the so many teams mm-hmm. and tournaments we played in the last year are finally catching up to him but once he's clicking at the NHL level the fact that he's on this team right now tells you what they think of his ceiling um and I think the world is a limit for him and Jamie Drysdale is another guy um that is he's a stud defenseman in this league he's going to be he's gonna be amazing but um he comes in this year and, and tries to add more to his game they have John Klingberg here and you know maybe he took away some of the things from Jamie's plate that he was used to doing and so he's kind of figuring out his role so all of this is to say, like, again, a team in transition, a team kind of figuring themselves out, but a team that's trending in the right direction. Um, and I don't see them not being competitive for the next few years. Like, I see mm-hmm. this is a really competitive team, one that's going to be in every game. And as long as you have John Gibson in net, you're in every game, no matter what. He had a stellar night last night, making some really great stops, too. And getting in the mix with uh, a little uh, double (laughs) minor. Yeah, some penalties there. (laughs) Yes. Did you hear anything during that down by the bench? You know, the funniest thing I heard during the game, and I did report it on air, it was just cracking me up, was um, Mo Sider, the Red Wings. He's, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the... uh, He's one of the uh, starred players, and I was just kind of curious of what his demeanor was going to be like, and um, he was taunting the the Ducks players for whining, and he was doing baby voices, wah, 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 and it just kind of <laughs> sounded funny to hear that uh, out of a grown man in an NHL game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another interesting thing is when Gibby did take that uh, double minor, I was standing right behind the Ducks bench because I was getting ready to interview Dallas Eakins, and um, Gibson just came over and got his water, and he just had this, like, slick grin the entire time, just like this mischievous <laughs> child who... He knew what he did wrong, but he didn't mind because he did it for a reason. So that those are probably two of the more interesting, uh, charismatic or uh, 
colorful moments that I experienced. I know exactly what look you're talking about from Gibson because I have also seen that look before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this is your second season with NHL in an expanded reporter role. I mean, you got to cover the Stanley Cup last year, you know, appearances on ESPN shows as well. But what were, what were some of the biggest things that you learned last year that you've taken into this season? Um, one, I just, I have a new appreciation for just how incredible the hockey community is because there's been so many people along the way in the last year, I've been able to reflect whether it's coaches, GMs, players, agents, um, other reporters in the game who have just really uplifted me and helped me out and given me confidence that I do belong there because when you're put on TV, like I grew up and I just wanted to be a writer. Um, that's all I wanted to do. Um, I never thought about being on TV. And then all of a sudden when you get there, you kind of have impossible syndrome and you're like wait why am I on national television this is crazy this is insane um and so all of these people kind of giving me confidence and you know understanding that I'm passionate about covering the game and doing it the right way and getting to know the people and telling the best stories because at ESPN our big thing is we're going to grow the game through storytelling we think that's so important um that has been really amazing um and the other thing I learned is just to have trust in myself you know Mm -hmm. I think Again, being on TV is kind of unnatural and in these new environments where I wasn't used to, I had some growing pains. And, you know, I think last year, a lot of the times I would look on Twitter for feedback and I'd see trolls and it would upset me. I'm like, why are people acting this way? But um, you can't listen to the outside noise. You can't let other people's perception of you become your perception of you. Um, I deserve to be here. I worked really hard covering mm-hmm. the sport um, and I work really hard in my role now and people don't quite realize how much work goes into a broadcast. And, you know, as a reporter, sometimes I'm only speaking for like 90 seconds or two minutes, but like there's a lot of prep work in the days before a game and calls and notes and, mm-hmm. and talking to people, making sure you know exactly what you want to do um, that goes into it. So I'm proud of the work that I've done, but I'm excited to keep growing. And, you know, the NHL came out recently and said that its female fan base grew faster than any other league from the years 2009 to 2021. I think seeing you as an example on TV is a really great face for any young women that are looking to get into hockey or even into broadcasting. But why do you think it is that the female fan base has grown so much? That's a really good question, Alexis. And I appreciate you saying that too, but I'm not sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I almost feel like maybe they were just neglected for so long and people didn't realize, (laughs) Hey, 50% of the population is female and women like hockey and Mm -hmm. women like sports. And, um, you know, again, I think some of the things that we're doing at ESPN, I hope is helping that and hoping making it more accessible to more people and more women, you know, again, through the storytelling and, and telling stories about the game and introducing you to characters to give you a rooting interest, I think, um, really helps. And it's not just with females, it's with other underserved groups or people who might've found hockey inaccessible to them in the past. So, um, maybe there's more marketing efforts. Maybe it's just, um, you know, now that we're on ESPN and all this different programming, there's more exposure to women. Um, but whatever it is, this is the right direction. Um, and I do think people inside the game are realizing it too, because all of a sudden now you're seeing women rise to positions in power in front offices, um, in real hockey ops mm-hmm. positions that aren't just there to be a token hire or, you know, in community relations or public relations. And there's nothing wrong with those fields, but these are women now that are making decisions that shape rosters and salary cap decisions. And they're uh, representing players as agents. And that to me is really cool to see as well. It makes me very excited to see the future in this sport and also having women's hockey growing so much in, in the United States too. Oh, completely. Um, you know, 
for a really long time and I haven't seen the stats and I know that everything has been kind of skewed by the pandemic, but girls hockey was one of the, if not the fastest growing sport in America. I'm sure it's pickleball now because that's all anyone <laughs> yes. wants to talk about it too. <laughs> Um, but it's true. Um, and you know, I think now with all these vibrant markets and you you guys have seen it in Southern California now in Las Vegas and Seattle, like the grassroots just to introduce the sports to more people. Um, you see girls hockey so much involved in that programming. Um, and that to me is amazing because again, it was just an underserved area. There just wasn't enough, um, enough teams, not enough ice time some of the top players that you see today on the women's national team, like all had to play on boys teams mm-hmm. growing up. And the fact that they now can come up and play with girls their entire career and play girls hockey, like that's so cool to see. And that's only going to add to the growth as well. Absolutely. And you talked a lot about the soaring storytelling aspect behind your work as well. I mean, you've had the opportunity to shoot a lot of cool special features with guys around the league. I specifically really enjoyed the one about Jacob Truba and his wife that you did for opening night. Do you have any other exciting ones on the docket for this season? I do. Um, at first, I have to say one of my favorite ones I did last year, I'd be remiss not to talk about this, <laughs> when we did with Z and Trevor Zegris. And the funniest part about it was that like we had, we were like, Trevor, like bring a couple of your teammates. So we had this little rat pack of all these young uh, Ducks players and we got to see where they live. Um, Trevor didn't want to film it at his apartment. So we went to Max Jones's place and Max Jones essentially lived in like, I think what we would, I would call like a frat house that was passed down from like generation of duck to generation <laughs> of duck. Like I think Joffrey Lupo might be the uh, landlord. So we just had a really fun day shooting with them in Newport beach. I mean, that was one of the fun ones they did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, Jason Robertson is a young player. We're going to introduce our fans to um, really interesting kid, uh, Filipino American grew up in Southern California, but then moved to Michigan. Um, just a great story, um, a really fun kid with a fun personality and a really good hockey player for the Dallas Stars, scored 41 goals last year. Um, Eric Johnson is one of the stories that I'm most excited to tell. We had an insanely good time shooting with him in Colorado. Here's a guy who's just a hockey lifer, has been through it all, but also so many injuries um, and almost retired. Um, mm-hmm. He's the longest serving player on the Colorado Avalanche. And last summer was like, I don't know. Like this might be it for me. Gave it one more go and then goes and wins the Stanley Cup. But he's just an electric personality. And I think everyone will just fall in love with his story and him as a player and a person once they see him on camera. I'm looking forward to seeing those come out this season. I am too. I'd like to get on my uh, release schedule for my producers, but uh, they're busy. <laughs> well, we stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned for those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what, if you guys find out the release schedule, you just let me know. Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, you're on the road a lot covering all the games and you will be this season. Now, I know you love to travel, but I saw that you're going to be documenting it this season on TikTok now. I caved, Alexis. I <laughs> caved. Um, I was so anti-TikTok, but then I realized it's an app that's not going away. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many fun things that I see behind the scenes. And I just thought it would be cool. Again, we always talk about hockey. I've kind of mentioned this a few times already, but it's an inaccessible sport in a lot of ways. And, you know, hockey players themselves have been conditioned to, you know, not put out their personality to say you or we as a pronoun instead of I. But the truth is there's so many beauties in the game. I think the culture is changing of the next generation. And there's so many great things that I do see on the road that I'd love to take fans behind the scenes. Um, and you know, some of the quirky stuff, some of the silly stuff, um, some of the more heartwarming stuff too. So 
we'll see how it goes. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Like I put out the first one. It's a hard app. That first one took me like way too many hours and I'm willing to admit to put together. So hopefully it becomes a little easier for this old uh, millennial going forward. You know, I've dabbled with TikTok a little bit recently too. And it, it is cool to show people what the behind the scenes is like because they don't see that, especially on TV. Yeah, completely. Um, and I, I think that's the other thing that I'm hoping to get out of it um, is just, you know, showing people what goes into, you know, what I do for a living. And again, like I told you, you know, when I'm interviewing a coach, it might just seem like, oh, she's just standing up there and asking questions. But like, there's a lot that goes into it and phone calls and research and talking to people, conversations and all the travel hijinks. So I'll show you guys all of that. So <laughs> you get a better understanding of how we do our jobs. Emily Kaplan on TikTok. Is that where they can find you? Emily M. Kaplan. Emily Kaplan is like one of the strangely more popular names in America I've learned throughout my life. So I got to <laughs> have that M in there. There was another Emily Kaplan in my high school, Alexis. It was crazy. Oh, wow. Small world. I, yeah. Senior year, I got called into the principal's office. They're like, hey, uh, you've been skipping bio. I was like, I haven't taken biology class in freshman <laughs> year. I was like, other Emily Kaplan is bad. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, when you're on the road, I want to know, like, what is your favorite thing to do? Like, do you have a little routine or anything in particular? You know, I've really tried to make it a point in any city I go to just to do one thing that's cultural. And whether it's going to see uh, like a museum or an art gallery or something like that, whether it's going to a restaurant that I flagged that, you know, I've heard is like a cool neighborhood restaurant. Um, I think so often the road can be a grind and we all fall into these habits where you go, you check into the hotel, you look for the closest restaurant right next to the hotel, you get room service and you don't out seek and explore. And look, I'm 31 years old. Someone is paying for me to travel around the country <laughs> and see all these amazing places. If I'm not taking advantage of it, I think that's a disservice. So um, I, I try to do that in cities. Well, you know, sometimes it's easier than others. And sometimes I just mm -hmm. want to crawl into my bed and just take a nap, but, um, <laughs> also trying to get in workouts is the other, uh, big challenge on the road. Cause again, it's so exhausting, but um, I'm big on workout classes. So I always try to find like a cool studio in a city and, um, that's what I'll do today in New York. You're catching me. Uh, I flew right from Detroit to New York. And, um, after we hang up, I'm going to go do some Pilates. Nice. That's awesome that you find ways to keep a balance with your life too, on the road too, because it really is so important. It honestly is. And I think that's one of the things that I've really been stressing, especially the young women who are getting into this industry, because um, there's so many sacrifices you have to make to work in professional sports. Again, it's amazing. It's glamorous. It's cool. A million people would have this job, but it's nights, it's weekends, it's mm -hmm. long hours. And a lot of the times not with the pay that um, is compensating for those long hours and as much as you're working. Um, and I think so many women fall into the trap where like, they just get so tunnel vision and they put themselves out there that it, they fully invest themselves into the work that they don't have this work-life balance. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to normalize that to get the best out of your work, you do need to be able to reset and to be able to step back and do things that exercise your brain and your body in different ways. Um, and so, yeah, the work-life balance, the whole mental health and wellness aspect of it is really important to me um, and something that I would stress to anyone getting into this industry. Absolutely. Well, if you're here in Anaheim at all during this season, we'll have to uh, find something to do in the area. Yes. Show me around, Alexis. <laughs> I mean, I'm still fairly new, but I'm starting to learn where all the good spots are. So we can explore together. <laughs> Perfect. Well, looking ahead to this season, do you have a team that you're very excited about? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, the Red Wings, and, you know, maybe this will make that 5-1 loss feel a little bit better to Ducks fans, but they were a team that I loved all the moves they made, and I love some of the mm-hmm. young players, and I'm really excited to watch them take that next step. I'm not sure if they're going to be a playoff team. They might be. Um, I, I still think they're a little far away, but they are a team that I'm excited to watch grow. Absolutely. I, you know, I've been kind of high on them, too, in the recent years, just seeing how much that they have developed Totally. And, um, you know, their coach, Derek Lalonde, uh, Lalonde, we've learned that he, that's how he pronounces it. It's funny when he was an assistant coach in Tampa, he never, uh, <laughs> he never cared that much, uh, Newsy, but, uh, you know, I got to know him a little bit in Tampa and he's just kind of this incredible personality. So engaging. Um, and you know, he's someone who's just really earned this opportunity. I feel like they have the right coach at the right time, um, for these players. And I love some of their players like Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond. Um, they're just really fun to watch. Well, I asked about the team. Now, do you have a guy that you're keeping your eye on this season to maybe have a breakout year? Mm, that's another good question. I'm trying to think of um, some of the teams that I've covered so far that, I, you know, I cover a lot of New York Rangers games mm-hmm. and uh, one of their young players. And I just don't think that he, he's, he's about to make the jump and it's Philip Heedle. Um, He's out right now with a concussion or an upper body injury. So we won't see him for a bit, but. Um, he's another guy that I did a feature with over the summer at the European player media tour in Paris. Um, and just hearing about the fact that he is from a city of 700 people and by city, I really mean village, um, in the Czech Republic and growing up so humble, um, on a farm with animals. And then just imagining what that transition must've been like to be a first round pick coming to New York city, Mm -hmm. um, and all the expectations and pressures that brought, um, it really humanized him to me and, um, his game, I just think is taking that next step. And I, you know, he had a little bit of a glow up in the playoffs. It was a small sample size and I think he can build on it. ESPN's Emily Kaplan. Emily, thank you for joining me from the road. Good luck this season. And I'm sure I will see you at some point. Yes. I can't wait, Alexis. I have no games through all-star in uh, Anaheim, but I look forward to my second half schedule. I'd better be out there. (laughs) I hope so too. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Awesome to catch up with my friend, Emily Kaplan. I've known her for a couple seasons now, and it's just been amazing to see her rise in the NHL over the past year. Now it's Monday, which means it's time for Mailbag Monday. I'm going to keep it short today. Just a couple questions, beginning with Peter on Twitter. He said, is Dallas Aikens tinkering with the lines too much, or should he let them all have time to gel a bit? I wouldn't say too much in this case. It was a five-game road trip that the Ducks had a lot of ups and downs on. I think it warrants changes to the line if Aikens doesn't believe that things are working. And it's still early in the season, so good to get the different perspective of how players gel with each other. I think it's been okay. Now the next question from Juan. What is your all-time favorite Ducks sweater and why? Well, I'm really a fan of the old logo, but I do love the new colors. I love the orange, so that's probably why the Ducks' third jersey is the one that I love. The team sported it on their opening night. I have one myself. I think it's the perfect blend of old and new. Let's wrap up this episode with my final quack, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the episode. And for this one, I want to give a shout out to my awesome mom, Sue, for the new Duck Stream coasters that we now have here in the studio. I love bringing my coffee in here, and now I don't have to worry about it because I have a wonderful coaster 
Thanks for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. We have a full week of Ducks hockey on the docket, so make sure to come back again for lots more hockey talk here on Duck Stream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.